Welcome to Committing Faith in Public. This is the podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Our guests tell stories of their work of weaving a more just, kind, and diversity-inclusive society. Our starting place for stories is Oklahoma because that is where we live and because many people, both in Oklahoma and beyond, are surprised when they learn that interreligious friendly, pro-democracy, diversity welcoming, public good oriented religion even exists in Oklahoma. So through this podcast, we're spreading good news and encouraging you in your faith and public life work. I'm Gary Peluso Verden, President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and working on the Religion and Public Life Initiative for the seminary. I'm on the phone today with the Reverend Clark Fraley, lead pastor at Coffee Creek Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Clark is also an advocate for public schools among religious leaders in Oklahoma. One expression of his advocacy is his involvement in Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, a broad coalition of clergy and religious leaders. He's joining me today for this episode of Committing Faith in Public to talk about the work of Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. So welcome, Clark. Thanks so much for being with me on this call. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Good. Tell us a bit about yourself and the Coffee Creek Church, the congregation you serve. Uh, when I first looked up Coffee Creek Church, I was wondering, Coffee Shop Church, Coffee Creek? We uh, we sit in the northern part of Oklahoma County, where there are lots of little creeks, and one of those creeks happens to be known as Coffee Creek. Okay. And so they named a street after it, and when they named the street after it, our new building um, in 2005 was created on this road, and they said, well, let's call it Coffee Creek Church. So that's how that name got started. Okay. It's nothing, uh, nothing too exciting, well, but uh, it's, it's named after the road. Right, kind of like the rural version of Boston Avenue or uh, exactly. uh, you know, exactly. um, Apple Street or whatever. Right. And uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in the northeast part of Oklahoma in green country. Kind of have a dual history. My family's uh, one of my Part of my family was in the land run, and the other part of my family was already here as Native Americans, so mm-hmm. Cherokee tribe. I am a consummate Oklahoman, I feel like. I've lived here most of my life. I did a little bit uh, spent in Texas for seminary, but uh, got back as quick as I could. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been at, uh, at Coffee Creek Church now? I just completed uh, de- a decade, 10 years in August. So I've been here as their pastor 10 years. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, uh, but uh, they seem to like me and seem to appreciate the ministry that we have, and we've grown a lot, so uh, in lots of ways, spiritually and numerically, so that's been good to do together. How I got to know you, in fact, uh, was through uh, Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. When I was looking around over the last year at uh, where are the public advocacy organizations um, advocating for a uh, faith involvement uh, that contributes to a richer sense of the social fabric in Oklahoma, and I ran across the organization that you've been with. Tell us some about what Pastors for Oklahoma Kids is and how it got started. At 14, I I came into the church. I began following Christ at 14, and so 
I was raised in a Southern Baptist environment and kind of had the perspective that uh, politics and religion were two separate things. And so I, uh, for the first 20 years, really, of my ministry, pretty much kept it that way. And then uh, being in this church a longer time, spending a lot more time diving deep into a community, I was able to see a lot of the things that you don't see when you kind of jump around more. Mm-hmm. And one of those things was a deeper level of involvement with the public schools. Now, that's kind of always been a part of my heart is to do ministry through the local schools. Like, how can we help out the schools? Because they're, you know, we have kids once a week or twice a week or three times a week, maybe. But they have them, you know, eight hours a day for five days a week. So. Right. Uh, what can we do to support them? So we would do things like, you know, the typical things, a backpack drive in the fall. And uh, then the teachers, we would try to support them and, and, and provide nice things for them, like a meal at a parent-teacher conference or something. But then uh, a couple years into that, or maybe three years into that, they started asking for different things, like paper. And we were like, what is, why would you need paper? Like, Seems pretty what, fundamental. Aren't you managing mm-hmm. your budget? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what's the deal? And... Through that process, came to find out that funding was a major issue. And, you know, we had been almost, uh, I think at that point, it had been eight years without a funding increase. And I was like, surely not. That can't be the case. And, and you know, just like anything, you if you just kind of keep your head down and do your thing and hope everyone else is doing the right thing, you can kind of lose perspective. And so I felt like a horse with blinders a little bit. I felt blindsided by the fact that my children were in schools mm-hmm. that were getting pretty much defunded. It was flat funding, but the in- inflation was increasing and the student body was increasing. And so mm-hmm. the dollar per student was going down. So the ability to buy things like paper and why are we losing certain classes and why can't we do middle school athletics in some places? And then I had a friend in a smaller district back in the northeast part of the state that we were, they were going to lose a librarian. And they were like, you know, we're going to have to do a library once a week. It's going to be open once a week, and we'll circulate a librarian around. I was like, what's what's happening? Like, mm-hmm. how can that be acceptable? Right. Uh, that kind of was eye-opening. And diving into it, started to look at some of the literature being produced. Op-eds in the newspapers started paying attention a little more started seeing prominent people, elected officials, saying things about our schools being atheist-based, our teachers are a bunch of atheists and have some sort of agenda. And I just, that wasn't my experience. I mean, I'd worked in multiple schools. I worked in small schools in Oklahoma, worked uh, with large schools in Oklahoma, and had not had that experience. It, It seemed to me that the schools were a reflection of the communities in which they were planted. Then in 2016, we had an election and, and another measure did not pass to increase school funding and narrowly failed. I was really just kind of heartbroken. And I felt like Nehemiah a little bit. Like I was just kind of sitting there at the gates, looking at my state burning down around me and kind of just saying, what is going on? And so I just kind of, I prayed about it and I was like, what is happening here? And you know, what can I do? Like, and that and you feel powerless. I think a lot of people feel powerless if they don't have power they don't have a lot of money to fix things. Like you just feel like there's nothing you can do. And then you worry as a pastor, I think if I take a stance on this issue, is that going to be so unpopular that, you know, someone gets offended. But I thought I kept think kept returning to this idea. These are our kids. These are the Oklahoma children mm-hmm. that we are shorting. I kind of did some Googling like you do, right? You know, if you're sick, you go to WebMD. Well, if you mm-hmm. are, you're sick about your state, you go and you Google. And so I Googled, and came across a group in Texas of pastors that were advocating for their public schools. 
And I thought, I thought Texas, good night. And we always talk about how good Texas has it. Why do they need to advocate mm-hmm. for their public schools? Mm-hmm. And if they're advocating, we really need to advocate. Mm-hmm. So um, I got a hold of them. I sent an email. I got a response within about 30 minutes and said, it's a funny thing. Another pastor from Norman just emailed me. Do you guys think you could get together tomorrow and we could do a conference call? Hmm. And so I said, of course, yeah. So I went down to Norman, Pastor Mitch Randall there at North Haven Church, and I and uh, Pastor Todd Littleton from Tuttle, we all met together, and we had a phone on a table, and that was the start of Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. The vision was cast that you guys need to get organized, and there is an agenda, and it's not going to get better unless you help. And you need to do everything you can to support your teachers because they are they're on the front line and they're getting beat up. And the funny thing is they're in the school all day long doing the right thing, just like pastors are trying to keep their nose down and do the right thing. And there are forces at work against them for some pretty unsavory reasons. And so that's kind of, that's the history, really. That's where we were born in uh, 2016. We really got rolling in 2017. I came on board in 2018 as uh, the executive director and have been trying to lead the charge ever since. And how would you characterize the organization's journey thus far, you know, starting out in 2016? And and the, it seems like education has been, well, education, of course, has been an issue for a long time in Oklahoma, but it seems like the, the heat has gotten higher in the last few years. You know, we were getting organized in um, 2017, trying to kind of figure out a structure and what was our role going to be. We didn't want to be one of these activist organizations that, you know, we had an agenda, basically. And we wanted to just say, look, we really just are here to support the teachers mm-hmm. and the kiddos. Mm-hmm. And we want to, we, we really wanted to respond to anyone using religion as a weapon against our schools. And so that was a big part of our declaration. We just had to put a declaration out so that everybody would know who we are and what we stood for. I think some of our listeners may not know what you mean by uh, religion being weaponized regarding public schools. Yeah, Yeah, well, we kept seeing our public schools being demonized. We kept seeing anti-public school rhetoric coming out there. And so by the weaponization of religion, they would say, you know, God is not in school anymore. And they would say things... All the teachers are atheists. And we, we actually had written communications and verbal communications from elected officials, legislators, saying these things in Oklahoma. And we were like, look, you're not the content area expert on religion, so maybe you shouldn't be popping off about our good schools and our good teachers, because we have tons of teachers mm-hmm. that are good people working for the common good of all children, and they're just full in our public schools, these people. And so, you know, it was really offensive. And so we just said, look, uh, we're going to enter this space and we're going to say, that's not true. Don't say that. Mm -hmm. And so you might have other arguments. Mm -hmm. You might have Mm -hmm. policy things you want to talk about, but we're not going to allow you to use religion and Christianity in specific to to demonize our schools. And so so that was kind of what we did with our declaration. We wanted to have it just, Mm -hmm. this is who we are, this Mm -hmm. is what we stand for. And uh, we ultimately want to change the conversation so that we're praying for our public schools, we're supporting our public schools, and uh, one of the things that was important to us early on and still is, is advocating for uh, the separation of church and state, that we think that's Mm -hmm. critical for public Mm -hmm. education. We believe Mm -hmm. religion is taught in the churches and the homes, and that that is a biblical model, and that we don't need the government coming in and teaching religion, because which one do you pick? I mean, which 
flavor of Christianity would you pick if you were going to let the government do that? That's not that's not a good idea. It's not a good path. And and so ultimately, we wanted to you know challenge any religious voices that demonize public education mm-hmm. and help pursue a just society, a a, a common good mm-hmm. approach to education, mm-hmm. which is the foundation. You know, there's a lot of writings and books out there, a lot of people on social media talking about public education these days, but they kind of miss the point of how public education started in Oklahoma. A a uh, Methodist pastor who became a Baptist pastor was the first superintendent of public instruction in Oklahoma. He's called the father of education in Oklahoma as the architect of it that started this whole thing. So it's really kind of silly to divorce the concept of how we started public education in Oklahoma and the mission we had in mind, which was half our state wasn't getting educated. They estimated 40 or 50,000 children were not in school in 1907, they were wow. in rural areas that weren't being mm-hmm. served. They did not have access to even the most basic of education. And, you know, we had private schools. We had, they called them subscription schools back then. Mm-hmm. We had those mm-hmm. all over the state. So the wealthy could go to school, but poor children were not allowed to go to school. Poor children had no future and hope. And, you know, uh, one of the kind of biggest concepts for me is, we got to have people be able to read. We want people to read the scriptures for themselves. We want people to be able to reason for themselves. And, you know, even the founders of America, they were in, emphasizing the idea, you got to be able to read to elect people and know who you're electing. So you got to be able to read, reason, and think, and parse data, and parse information. And, uh, you know, I think those things are really important. So to us, we, we just think that uh, the public school is a place where, just like you're going to do in life, everything comes together, and uh, everyone has a chance and a shot, and ideas are respected, and you can come together, but you don't have to have overt religious teaching be a part of that concept, and you certainly don't have to trash the schools just because they're not doing that. Right. That's, that's right. what they were designed to do. They were right. designed for that purpose. Right. So-called government schools, which are sometimes pejoratively said rather oh, than uh, public yeah. schools. We are the government. <laughs> Right, we are. On the website for Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, it talks about a broad coalition of clergy. What is that broad coalition, and how does it stay together? So I think the the biggest reason we're able, because this is not like anything I've ever been a part of, the biggest thing that binds us together is uh, a love for Oklahoma's children that are in these public schools, and and probably a second corollary is teachers and administrators that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of our churches are. I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Who's going to teach our Sunday school classes? Who's going to teach our summer vacation Bible school classes? Who's going to help out and volunteer? A lot of the time, your teachers, your principals, they are the first people to jump up and help because they're already kind of community service minded. So our love for them is pretty much what I would say binds and makes it an easy sign-on for Mm -hmm. being a part of our organization. The second part is we don't branch out into other topics. Mm -hmm. We keep it pretty focused on public school kids and the schools that they're in. And so we keep our conversations limited to that. So our organization is not broad. Our organization is very narrow in focus, but that focus kind of allows us to invite more people to the table, if you will. And so we have, you know, we have an incredible diversity of denominations that 
I have never seen work together on anything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you would think even like feeding people we could work together on, right? But not even that right. um, sometimes right. goes goes sideways. So uh, we've been really lucky to, in, in the last to have so many different kinds of churches supporting it and and being a part of, you know, and I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. What are you going to do? Argue that we shouldn't be supporting public school kids? 90% of the children in Oklahoma, if 700,000 children in public schools. So it's kind of a no-brainer to me a little bit, but um, I, I understand, you know, that concept. When I was a young pastor, I, I did uh, feel very concerned about taking stances and things. So I still understand some of that stress and that tension, and I feel that tension all the time. I don't want someone to, you know, be upset, but ultimately I know my heart and I know why I'm in this, and it's for the better of the state and the better of the children. Mm-hmm. So ultimately that drives that drives the priority for me a little bit higher. Thus far in your work with Pastors for OK Kids, what's pleased you? I think the opportunity to work with the diversity of the religious leaders, the opportunity to speak truth to power a little bit um, has been really um, powerful to see that, I guess you kind of lose faith, I did at least, that voting mattered mm-hmm. as a young person, that, mm-hmm. that our voice mattered, that you could get anything done. And what I've been able to see is when you get organized and you let it be known that you're praying for something and that you're working on it and you're not going to be silent, then you are able to influence. You don't win every battle, of course, but you are able to make a difference and an impact. And then when you see positive things happening, like uh, teacher pay raise, and you see um, class sizes starting to get a little bit smaller, and you see some forward movement, that's really motivational to see things starting to move in the right direction. It doesn't get there quickly. Boy, that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is just mm-hmm. realizing how painfully slow things move. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to appreciate any baby step forward. And once you see that and you realize, you know, we're the new people to the game, honestly. We're, we're new to this advocacy for kids. And there's been organizations that have been fighting these battles for many, 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 many mm-hmm. years. And uh, how frustrating it must be. I can't even wrap my head around mm-hmm. to see such backwards things that they had to go through. So mm-hmm. we've been really lucky um, to uh, see such forward movement. So besides the pace of positive change, is are there other things that have frustrated you? Um, I would say just the transparency part um, and the uh, the money involved has been very concerning and shocking to me about how lobbyists are involved so much more than the people. And I think uh, you always have an idea of that. You always. I think everybody kind of carries this corruption thing in the back of their mind, but when you really get close to it and you see just how much outsiders influence things outside mm-hmm. our state and, mm-hmm. and folks with money influence things that affect people that don't have the ability or, you know, there's a whole ton of people that can't show up to the Capitol Monday through Friday, eight to five, when they're getting all this stuff mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And then there are a ton of paid people there influencing legislation that, you know, this is supposed to be the people's mm-hmm. house, mm-hmm. and it is the people's house, but it's sometimes the people with the money and the power's house. And so uh, that's unfortunate, and I think, you know, we've got some good people that are trying to push back on that, but I think that's a real battle, and so that's probably the most frustrating thing is 
to think about all the teachers that are in their classrooms, that are wiping the little noses, that are, you know, fixing the boo-boos of the kids that scrape their knee on the playground, that are counseling high school students that are going through some of the worst times of their life, or middle school maybe, maybe that's the worst time of their life, but, you know, they're doing their job, and they don't have the time to go down and be knocking on doors and begging legislators to do the right thing by them and the kids. And so that's disheartening that you have people that are there after uh, money or power for themselves. They are knocking on those doors and that are getting stuff done. And, and that happened too much. And, and we saw what happened in April of 2018. That boiled over and people had had enough. And so schools shut down and teachers all showed up. And it's ridiculous to me that we have to get to that level to get good stuff done. It's just, it's just silly, really. And I think it's a, a mark on us that we can't get things done without things like that. I would say that's the biggest disappointing part, mm-hmm. is just power in politics. Right, which uh, is, on the one hand, you come to expect power in politics. Politics is about, uh, fundamentally, how power is distributed. But we are talking about the lives of our kids. And very often right. these same legislators are saying, you know, our, our, our most precious assets. And, well, but we don't always treat them like that. I assume that you pay attention uh, to education issues in the state kind of as they ramp up. Uh, coming to a new legislative session in February, and I'm, I'm curious whether you're hearing any uh, scuttlebutt or, or um, uh, talking to anyone who is talking about the uh, the issues that are gonna, about education that will be uh, coming forth starting in February. Yes, you know, there's always rumors, and there's uh, the interim studies that they do in the fall kind of give you a a preview, if you will, of what might come up. And so I think. We tend to not go after individual issues as much as we can, and we try to have a broad kind of um, goal for the legislative session, if you will. Mm-hmm. The funny thing we found is that year after year, it's very cyclical. The same things come up, the same things that failed come up every year. And so, you know, our our consistent pattern is just we kind of have some things we stand on. We We want to stop. Uh, the movement to privatize public education. Mm-hmm. Basically, we would like to stop mm-hmm. moving public resources into, or converting public resources into private resources. Uh, we believe in the ed- institution of public education, and so for that reason, we want to fully fund those schools and and, and really help out some of the most vulnerable kids in that way. Rather than some uh, of the we school wanted, voucher type programs. Right, vouchers, tax credits, things like that, that, that really take money that is intended for public school kids and give it to unaccountable kind of things. And so we, we want to stress accountability, transparency, and equity. Those are the three kind of mm-hmm. words we mm-hmm. uh, work with there. We want to encourage full investment in our public schools. We still think we have some room to go as far as offering things like wraparound services for mental health, uh, literacy programs, and some mentoring. And, and honestly, at this point, we're starting to look at the idea of we are very focused on fairness in funding education, but we do clearly have some areas that need to be bolstered with additional funding for some of our poorest urban kids and some of our rural schools that don't have access to the programs that children have in suburban and urban areas sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, how can we increase investment in those areas to create equity? in the offerings. You're not asking for a handout. You know, you're not asking for 
you're asking for a hand up, really. You're asking to help these kids out to have a future. And I just can't, I, I can't even get it in my mind how that would be something that we would debate or that we wouldn't want to help out those children. We do want to continue to work on the teacher profession idea. We have way, way, way too many emergency certifications. Mm-hmm. We have way too many openings. And we have really this still, we have to work on this. It's an attitude thing. It's a, a lack of respect for our educators. Uh, we're over-testing. Our mandates are unfunded. So we need to get rid of some of that junk. And then, you know, you've got to respect the profession. And it's, it's easy. It's just like you said. It's easy to say you're in it for the kids or whatever. It's easy to say I support teachers. But we kind of are at a point where we need to express that in some practical ways. You have teachers that are retired teachers in Oklahoma that haven't had a cost of living increase in 11 years. Mm. At the same time, you have had drugs get more expensive for prescriptions. You have had medical costs increase for them. You've had insurance increase for them. You've had inflation. And, you know, since 2008, we haven't seen a cost of living increase for these state workers that are retired. So if I'm a student in college right now, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, maybe in my sophomore year thinking, I wonder what I want to be with my life. I wonder what degree program I'd like to pursue. And I see that the state that I would live in isn't going to help out when I'm retired someday. They're going to leave me stranded and I'm going to, you know, I, why would I pick education fields? And we have felt that across the state. Mm-hmm. You talk to any education school and you will find out that teachers, elementary education, uh, secondary education, those schools in many cases have been cut in half or less because it's not an appealing field right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to change that. We started that process with the teacher pay raises, but we've got to keep after that. And we've got to close the back door on the COLA for our, our retired teachers. So I think that's a part of and then I think just, you know, like I said, it's an attitude thing, too. You've got to respect them, get out of the way, let them teach, give them the resources they need, because honestly, they're on the front lines. They're doing all the hard work. I, I substituted in a class last year. There was a uh, funeral that a lot of the teachers wanted to attend, and they asked for community help, and so you had to do a background check, and I covered a class for three hours of third graders. And by the end of the third hour, the teacher came back, you know, she came and she's like, hey, everything okay? And I'm like, I've got to get out of here. Again, I'd be crazy. <laughs> so I, I missed three hours. You know, she's there for uh, seven, eight hours a day with them. And I'm thinking, wow, this is why there are people called to this job. Uh, you know, it was every five seconds, questions, and can I have a snack? And he ate my snack. And, you know, I just couldn't mm-hmm. handle it. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for respecting our teachers and supporting them. And I mean, to me, in my mind, at least a teacher in a, in a state like Oklahoma, we look at them. I revere them as much as I revere a police officer or a firefighter. I see them as a public servant. I see them as heroes Mm -hmm. and I see them as doing work that a lot of other people don't want to do. So I think we've got to support them with everything we, we can because they're shaping the future of what our state and our nation is going to be. And uh, so anything we can do to support them and stand with them, that's what, you know, Pastor Schroeder and the wants to do. A moment ago, you were describing uh, sort of a, a negative spiral with all the various parts of the system uh, that uh, need to be addressed. As For instance, you were talking about the number of emergency certifications and diminished number of students in education programs at, at our state's uh, colleges and universities. 
So there's a, right. there's so much work yet in front of us. I'm really glad you're doing this work, and I admire it. And if if those listening uh, would like to get involved with Pastures for OK Kids, how, how would they do that, Clark? The two easiest ways are just to go to our website, pastorsforoklahomakids.com. There's a declaration you can sign digitally and have your name included on if you want to uh, publicly identify with us. We also have a Facebook page, uh, which is just Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, if you search on that. And uh, we have a lot of folks there, a lot of activity there. We put out daily um, news briefs, daily things that are happening, either at the national level or local level. We try to keep it mainly Oklahoma issues, but... Uh, we do have every once in a while a Supreme Court thing come up that we want to talk about. So try to keep everybody informed. We just that's really what we want to do is just kind of raise awareness of what's going on. So our Facebook page and our our website are the two best ways to connect with us. I'll also speak personally and say that I've learned from the uh, information papers you all have put together to when there's an issue, what the issue is, and why that issue matters. So I think that's great resources for uh, all of us to pay attention to. Clark Fraley, thank you so much for being with us today on this episode of Committing Faith in Public. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. This has been Committing Faith in Public a podcast from the Religion and Public Life Initiative at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Copyright PTS and Gary Peluso Verdend. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect an official position of Phillips Theological Seminary.